pray for him together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gift of my brother and just the work of the ministry that he's already been doing in your church. And pray your blessing upon him today as he glorifies you in the scriptures. And we pray this in your name. And everyone said? Amen. Okay. Hey, I'm on. Um, first, I just wanted to thank you all. It's such a privilege and an honor to be able to be up here. And, uh, you know, you get a little nervous here. And this has just happened this morning, thanks to my wife. <laughs> she knows I was a little nervous. And she goes, um, you know, I can't have pom-poms. <laughs> no, Mary, no, thanks. So, um, hopefully, we'll be able to learn something this morning. We've been going through what we've been calling the Summer of Psalms. And Jeffrey and Robin, they did a fantastic job in the last weeks. And uh, it's up to me to try and keep up here. J. Vernon McGee said this about the Psalms. It is the only book that contains every experience of a human being. The Psalms run the psychological gamut. Every thought, every impulse, every emotion that sweeps over the soul is recorded in this book. That's the reason I suppose that it speaks to our hearts and finds a responsive chord whenever we turn. Now, I think he was right. When we read something that is written from a heart relationship with God, it does resonate with our hearts. So, as we read um, Psalm 23, or 27, sorry, right one, um, we're going to look at this morning. Um, I, Ryan told me that I could pick what I wanted, and I have a bit of history with Psalm 27 myself, so that's why I chose it. But it's, it's such a beautiful, rich, uh, full encouragement in, in this that we can't possibly get through it all in, in this short period of time. So I've picked three sections um, that uh, I'm going to uh, just highlight, and uh, it is hopefully how David expresses his faith in God through it. So um, the one thing I want to just touch on before I go any further is uh, I'm a bit of a, what you might call a context nerd. So when I read a passage, I like to know what was going on with the person that wrote it. What, where he was, what was going, what he was looking at when he actually wrote these things. Uh, it's kind of like Jeffrey, when he preached, he talked about Paul being in a Roman prison when he wrote some of his works. So just a little context um, with regards to Psalm 27. It's pretty much agreed upon commentators in that, that David did write the psalm, and uh, he probably wrote it when he was on the run from King Saul, 
who was trying to kill him. So David was uh, out in the wilderness. He was living in caves. He was hungry. Um, at one time, Jesus, when he was talking to the people, alluded to this because he said that David and his companions ate the showbread that was in there because they were hungry. So Saul really wanted to kill David because, A, in 1 Samuel, he talks about how he was afraid of David. And he also knew that God had a plan to replace him as king with David. And so he was really uh, eager to uh, get rid of him. So one thing that um, really kind of uh, shocked me, sort of, is with David, is at this time, David was somewhere in his early 20s, late teens, when he wrote this. So as we go through it, keep that in mind because it's really quite amazing that someone that young could write these kinds of words. So verse 1, he writes, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? What a declaration of faith this is. David gives uh, such an incredible description of his relationship with God. And our translations, our English language, uh, really doesn't quite do justice to the, the expression of this that he actually has. Um, so he says that everything is from God. His light, which is his understanding of how he's to look at the world and how he is to function in it. My salvation. David is saying that because of his relationship with God, he has salvation. He's saying my life, all of his life is founded on the reality of God. Like that, when you think about that, at the young age of this man, 19, 20? I mean, some of us have kids and grandkids that age. It's amazing. So he puts such confidence in the power of God um, that he really knows that God's got his back and nothing that goes on with him can change that. The, we read in Romans 8, the, the, the Apostle Paul, he says virtually the same thing, that, that nothing in this world, past, present, future, can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And if you are honest with ourselves, that's the kind of faith that we want, isn't it? We want to be able to say things and to do things without the fear of man. I mean, I, I know I fall short of this a lot. And I worry about what someone's going to think of me if I say something. You know, or what's a neighbor going to think? 
David stuck firmly with his faith in God. And as we see later, he, he was rewarded. So the next verses, David is talking about his, what's going on with him and his, uh, how his enemies are coming after him. They, yeah, there we go. I didn't know you were putting it up. He, um, he says that they are coming to eat up my flesh. He said, that's kind of nasty. But it, it highlights the pressure that this young man was under. Like these enemies who were probably soldiers of King Saul, they were serious about getting rid of him. And, you know, if anybody had uh, a reason to run away and hide and not go anywhere near King Saul, David did, because they were trying to kill him. Um, but he continues, as we'll see later, in his steadfast confidence in what God is doing. So he says that his desire is to be in the house of the Lord and that the trouble, uh, any trouble, God will cover him. He's got his back. He knows that God is with him. And he says that he will sing songs of praise and sacrifices and shouts of joy. The, the, the dedication and faith that this young man had, it's just off the charts. It's amazing when you read what he has written here. So I'm skipping a little bit here, but I'm going down to verse 7 and 8. And he says, he says here, Hear, O Lord, when I cry. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. So through everything that's happening to David, look at the posture that he has before God. There's no apparent anger in what he's talking about to God. He says, be gracious to me. He's, he's not asking, God, why is this happening to me? He's saying, be gracious. Answer me. And some of the uh, translations uh, translate, be gracious as have mercy. And Either way that um, the translators translate this, it's a matter of God, David's asking God to come down and help him and be with him. And God's, <clears throat> excuse me, God's reply is what? Seek my face. And in this, um, God is not making a suggestion here. It's an imperative for David. For him, for God's help, he needs to seek his face. David needs to seek God's face so that he can understand that God is with him. And again, it's, it's David's faith and reliance on God um, that allows him to have this posture 
And, you know, I was, uh, when I was going through this and, and thinking about how old David was, all of these things, it, it's, you really, if you're honest with yourself, you think about your own faith and, and how at a lot of times it's so, um, as I thought, meager um, in myself and my trust in God. So the next verses, um, David, he lays out um, how, what he is asking of God and how God intervenes. Um, they're not up there. That's okay. It's, it's verses 10, 11, 12. He's, he's talking about where his confidence is in those struggles. And so now I'm going to uh, just skip down a couple verses. And for you ones that... Uh, are following in the ESV. I'm throwing you a bit of a curveball here because verses 13 and 14, um, I'm going to read from the Amplified Version. Now, I don't always like the Amplified Version, but I think in, in this particular instance, yeah, you'll see it's considerably different than what's going to be on the screen. But in this particular instance, I think they have done uh, a very good job of highlighting um, the struggles and, and David's response to God in this. So here's verse 13. He says, What, what would become of me had I not believed I would see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living? Wait and hope for and expect the Lord. Be brave and of good courage. Let your heart be stout and enduring. Yes, wait for, hope for, and expect the Lord. So it's this translation where David is reflecting on some of the things that have gone in on his life. He was a shepherd. He fought, according to him, he fought lions, bears, a giant of a man, and also other battles that he was in before he went into hiding. Now, he's reflecting back on these things and saying, what? What would have happened to me had I not believed? The, the older um, languages, when they want to um, make it a, a, uh, an indication that what is coming next is really important, they double up on their words. Um, Jesus did it when he was speaking in the Gospels. He says, truly, truly. I say unto you. So what this translation does is shows how important these last verses are. And I think, um, I think it is David's summation of what he's trying to say 
in, in the whole psalm. He says, what would have happened to me had I not believed that I had, would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living? This, these uh, verses should be of great encouragement to us. We will see God in the land of the living. That's our, that's our um, goal, if you will. So when we look at these ones, these verses, and the last verses, wait and hope for and expect the Lord. Be brave and of good courage. And let your heart be stout and enduring. Yes, wait for, hope for, and expect the Lord. David, in these verses, is testifying to us that this is what he is living. This is what he's lived. And it's worked for him. And he's saying to us, do this. Wait. Hope. And expect the Lord. And you will see him in the land of the living. It's an amazing um, thing to have that kind of faith that God would show up to you when you wait for him. And you hope for him. And the end of that is expect he will answer your prayers. It's, it's quite um, a legacy that David has left for us to look at. And in a lot of cases, to aspire to. So... I just want to finish with a quote. We're still in uh, the summer of Psalms. So I want to finish with this quote from a gentleman named Ben Zorns. It's from a book of his called The Gospel in the Psalms. So listen to what he says. The Psalms are replete with precious promises that are fulfilled in the advent, the death, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord Jesus. This then requires you to rest your faith upon an altogether lovely, altogether pleasurable God. And in doing so, you will find that all you have needed, his hand hath provided. Christ came to fill his covenant people with himself. So you think about that one. Christ came to fill his covenant people, us, with himself. That, that's astounding. He does this as the eternal word of God we would do well to admonish one another 
with these psalms of praise and ever lift this glorious anthem to our Redeemer, our Savior, and our King, which these ancient psalms foretold. So think about these words every week when we're reading the psalms. Think about how these ancient words represent our, our Savior. That Jesus is in these words. And he is wanting to express to us through these words that he is with us, that he loves us, and that he will not leave us.